Welcome to a brand spanking new episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Smack, smack, smack. (laughs) (laughs) Coming to you live and in color from the treehouse here in Franklin, Tennessee, presided over by our executive producer, Mark Whitlock. Hey, Mark. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, depending on whenever you're listening to the podcast. Oh, yeah. See, I I forget that. <laughs> the, the strange thing to me is when people comment about, you know, the conversation we had on the podcast, but it was four years ago. <laughs> I forget. You're expected to remember everything that you said. I forget that these things live in perpetuity. It's a little frightening, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And Aaron is joining us from the left coast. Hey, Aaron. Good morning. It turned bitterly cold here in Franklin overnight. Well, not bitterly cold, but the temperature dropped. However, it's it. This is balmy in comparison to where I'm going to be tomorrow night. Uh oh. Yeah, you're I've, headed north again. Huh? Oh man! And Rick Verkirk, my friend up there at Promise Keepers Canada, was kind enough to send me a screenshot of the weather forecast. I'm going to Winnipeg, right? And then Manitoba, the, Manitoba, and then the weekend after that. Calgary, and then the weekend after that, Regina. I don't know what it's going to be in those other places in the far west of Canada, but when I arrive in Winnipeg tomorrow night at 11.30 p.m., it will be minus four Fahrenheit. No! No! Oh! But I will will enjoy the warm company of those friendly Canadian brothers. Yeah. There you go. And and Aaron, I think we've continued to give a weather report at the beginning of every new podcast in 2016 Uh, yeah i I wasn't gonna say anything but i will tell you (laughs) it was incredible weather uh around the san francisco area in the last five days brilliant like tell us about that trip yeah tell us about uh, oh where where i was what i was yeah you took caleb up to san fran right yeah so i i've got uh I, I try to take adventures with all the kids on a regular basis, but Caleb is very much uh, an adventurer. And uh, we have a guy at our church that did his disciple uh, discipleship training with YWAM in San Francisco, which is only like three and a half hours away. So we like to send groups with him for weekends. And quite frankly, if anyone is in the San Francisco area, I think you should contact them and go hang out in what is called the Tenderloin District. Mm-hmm. It's an area of San Francisco with the most dense population of homeless uh, just living out on the streets. And there is nothing more, uh, I don't use the word relaxing or renewing in going and uh, the ministry that they throw you in isn't really ministry, although you're ministering to people. You're just taking hot chocolate after it, gets dark at like nine or 10 walking around the blocks and giving hot chocolate to people and having conversations with whomever would like to during the day you make sack lunches and uh, you don't just hand them out. You ask to have picnics with people on the streets and you make a sack lunch for yourself and for them. And it's just, man, those people are so, uh, if they don't want to talk to you, they just say no and walk on. But if they do, they want to hang out and talk and have a nice chat, and they're appreciative. And often they end up praying for you, and it's just uh, it was great. So Caleb and I had a wonderful time meeting all kinds of new friends on the streets of San Francisco. Wow. And, and how old is Caleb now? Thirteen. Thirteen. 
What a what a fantastic, memorable weekend with Dad in San Francisco. That's awesome. Just awesome. The, the, the thing I love most about what's in his head right now is if you were to say, oh, did you go and minister to the people on the streets? He would not have any idea what that word means within the Christian uh, canon of vocabulary. To him, he would just be like, uh, no, he just went and met some people and hung out. Like, it doesn't have to be titled ministry. It's just life. And I love that. Oh, that's so that's... much better than thinking everything has to be labeled as ministry. That is wonderful. So, yeah, we went across the bay, just so you know, and hung out with Brian K. after that, one of our pastor pirates that I know you love, Nate. Oh, sure. Uh, I love Brian. Yeah. We were going to sleep on his boat. We tried to take it out sailing, and that did not work. Um, but we did just hang out and uh, acted piratey with him because his wife was out of town. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes the perfect pirate get-together. Then it does. Uh, <laughs> it does. So but, but what I, else is going on in your world besides uh, going to freezing places and doing freezing things? Well, you know, we got some exciting planning and dreaming that we'll get to a little later in the podcast with our guest. I got, we got my, by the way, let's just go ahead and say it. We got my Silas in the house. David Hampton is here. Hey, David. Hey, guys. Great to be here. Yeah. Uh, so Nice to have you. And Dave, David's going to be telling us some stuff about you this morning, right, as your Silas. <laughs> that's right, exactly. Uh, explaining, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right. Explaining how you we're supposed to be very specific with at least one person, so we need some proof that you have been specific. <laughs> yeah, we, we're calling the episode All About Nate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, man. Uh, I was in Ottawa this last weekend. Uh, at another PK event. It's it's crazy. I was convinced getting there that I hadn't been to Ottawa since 1977 when I went there with Allie on a day trip uh, during our engagement period. We went up and... Uh, so I have vivid memories of being there in 1977. So that was going to be my open my when I, when I talked that night. But I'm in the green room in the back, and this guy comes up and says, you know, I just, Nate, give me a, I just want to thank you uh, for, you know, you just, it, the Lord really used you to change my life when you were here five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and that trip. Yeah, that trip. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, man. And, and uh, if we I, have any, if we have any listeners from Ottawa, you really aren't that forgettable. It's it's Nate. It's not you. <laughs> yeah, it all kind of blurs together. But but at the same time, what a privilege it is um, to, uh, to you know to share my story. Even though I've been sharing the same stuff basically with this group uh, for years now. And I'll tell you, I got another piece of encouragement. Uh, I was only there for one night, but on Saturday morning, I'm, I went down for the uh, continental breakfast in the dining room at the at the hotel at the Days Inn. And uh, this guy sat, asked if he could join me, and he had driven over from Montreal, and he was French. He was very French, and he spoke with a very French oui, accent. Oui, oui. It was it was it was it was kind of you know very French. And uh, and he said, I, I, he, what he said was he just wanted to encourage me. He said, I, he said, I don't know if you wonder whether uh, you're making a difference, uh, whether you ever get tired of saying the same thing over and over again, or you get tired of leaving home and leaving your wife. 
and he what he what he really did was he kind of um, restated what had been going through my head the night before. Wow! And uh, mm. and then he just spoke these words of encouragement and affirmation, and he said, "Most of the men you're speaking to." are hearing it for the first time. You need to keep saying it. And it's, you know, God honors the sacrifice. And it was just so beautiful. And then at the end he goes, he goes, and I'm not just being nice. He goes, he goes, <laughs> he goes, I'm French. We're not nice. <laughs> he goes, That's we're awesome. direct. <laughs> oh, it's nice. great. Self-aware <laughs> Frenchman. I like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was beautiful. It was it was a <laughs> wonderful gift there. Uh, Mark, you make the magic happen here. I don't even pretend to understand what you and Aaron do to bring this thing to life and to share it. Uh, but so I know you in this context. Yeah, I know you outside this context as well. But our listeners don't. Any uh, major life lessons uh, this last week? Well, I, I got really angry this last week. I, I felt like mm-hmm. I was stuck in an Aria Speedwagon song. Mm-hmm. I heard it from a friend who heard it from a friend who heard it from another. Your finances are in crap shape, and you're in your 40s. So mm-hmm. uh, anyway, the implication of all of this gossip that was going around uh, is that guys in their 40s can't change. Oh, wow. That um, it's impossible that our... Uh, our ways are set, our grooves are set in our brain, and we're just not going to change uh, our patterns. And I know looking around this table and thinking about Aaron in California that all of us have faced uh, pretty amazing things and have had to change. Yeah. I'm a dramatically different guy than I was two years ago, than five years ago. Yeah. And I've still got a whole boatload of stuff that I've got to change. Yeah. yeah. But I'm making forward progress. But the gossip, so to speak, yeah. this opinion of this person really hurt. Mm-hmm. That's a hard, hard thing. And uh, I think that is going to kind of swing into what we talk about uh, with David. Wow. That's a, so are you, uh, are you going to uh, talk to that person about it? Or what's your, what's your plan there, Mark? Well, I've... I've checked it in with my Silas and I've talked about it at length with two guys that I trust. And, um, I'm just going to leave it in the world of gossip and turn the other cheek. How do you respond when somebody is uh, essentially gossiping or maligning or judging another brother? Um, and I think people need to know it's really simple as Christians that there's, there's this quick question of, Hey, uh, I appreciate you, you know, warning me because you care about me. Uh, have you talked to Mark about those concerns? And that that's kind of the first question. Whenever somebody's uh, gossiping, this really falls into the category of gossip, which I usually define as giving new information to another person that is uh, damaging to another person's reputation. And that's what they were doing. And so I would have loved it, and I don't blame this person for not doing it, but I would have loved it if they said, hey, have you talked to Mark about this? And the answer would have been, well, you know, but they already know the issue, whatever. And it's like, okay, hey, do you want me to go with you so we can talk to him about this? At which point the other person usually says, well, no, I don't want that. say, well, okay, I think that's pretty important, but all right. And that usually ends the conversation. 
Or if you want to be really have a lot of fun, then say, oh, that, that's really good. Hold on one second. And then actually dial the person they talked about, put them on speakerphone and say, hey, I'm here with this person. And I, I think they were talking about some stuff because I think they wanted to talk to you and wanted my help with that. So uh, we, we got him here. You're on speakerphone. And uh, so go ahead, so-and-so. Go. I can't see very many people doing that, but I oh. can see you doing it, Aaron. Yeah. Yeah, I have I have done that so many times, and it is it is always so good. And the person usually gets a little flustered at first, and they're confused, and they say, "Well, I was just, you know, I think this is going on," and then it becomes like the conversation. But at the very least, if if people don't feel like they can do that, to hand it back to the person and say, "Have you talked to this person?" puts them in the position of realizing, "Oh." I'm telling you all the thoughts of my head against another brother, and no, I'm not talking to them about it, so I am well outside of the realm of how we love each other in Christ in the body. So everybody can do that. I think that is going to kind of swing into what we talk about uh, with David when we come back. We'll be back in a few minutes uh, with our guest David Hampton here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. I've been the prodigal Running from the love that waits for me at home I'm the unforgiving brother Judging others on my righteousness alone My shame gives way to unbelief and my pride just plants these bitter seeds My heart cries from its hiding place I'm waiting here for you Take my heart and turn it to Turn my game 
And we're back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Uh, what a privilege today to have with us a guy who I see every Wednesday at 8 a.m., a dear friend and been a friend for a de- more than a decade now. Yeah. One of the very first... Were you at the first... Well, you were. I was. You were at yeah. the first meeting the of the Samson's. Very, very a, first. Oh, that's right. Wow. Yeah, when we how, desecrated how, the women's how, parlor. How, how, how have we not hung out? I feel like I knew all those originals. You didn't come to San Luis, did I you? did, yes. We've probably you, met. You were there. I was there, yes. Man. It's been 10 years okay. since we took 25 pirate monks from Franklin out to the the central coast of uh, California at Aaron's invitation. And uh, had a great weekend, didn't we? Yeah, oh, that yeah. was an ama- amazing time. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you were... And I need a picture now. I feel bad. Hey, David, I'm sorry that I just said you weren't there. I totally remember. You were like the, the gem of that weekend. <laughs> I'm so glad you were there. Yeah, it's all coming back. That's right. That's right. I was the gem one. That was... Yeah, that was me. <laughs> the shining jewel among the rubble. <laughs> now, David was and still is today the uh, director of worship at Christ Community Church, which is the church that uh, where Samson was launched. Right. Uh, and it was was that a bit of a risk for you as a staff member to show up at a Samson meeting? Well, it was, especially initially, because I had... Um, you know, so many secrets. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's why I think it took me a year <laughs> <laughs> yeah. of coming to Samson uh, before I ever uh, took you aside and said, I think there's a problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then Nate took me to my first uh, AA meeting and uh, took me more than once and uh, began to walk me through uh, my first steps of recovery and uh, that was how I began to learn the power of confession was up in those rooms. But it took, yeah, it took me about a year to really open my mouth and trust that it wasn't going to make the, you know, the bulletin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, so, uh, by the way, uh, David Hampton probably has written some of the worship music you know. He's also a blogger and an author, and working on a new book that really, as uh, he and I were talking a a few weeks ago, sparked the idea for this conversation, this podcast, and I think an event that we really need in the Mm. Samson Society. So, um, David, as I recall, we talked about how many great programs there are now to get guys into recovery. Right. There are treatment centers that you can go to to dry out, no matter what your addiction is. There are groups that are, oh, uh, but especially, and weekends, and uh, Samson Society for years has done the 48 Hours of Frankness weekend, which right. has been a gateway for a lot of guys. Confession for the very first time, open the door to this marvelous new experience. Uh, but not that many um really instructional events, instructional times uh, that set us up for uh, what comes after what the, what, what, what the alcoholics call the pink cloud, that, right. that beautiful uh, period of early recovery when everything is bright and shiny. Right. Right. Um, so uh, tell us a little bit about the, 
where your thinking is going on this topic, how you got to the book you're working on, and put it in the context of your own story, will you, David? Yeah, absolutely. And and again, thank you for for having me. This is always fun, and and uh, I I just enjoy being with you guys a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it actually started with a question that my counselor uh, asked me, and my counselor uh, is a drug and alcohol specialist. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Nashville, she used to have an office on Music Row, which <laughs> I used to accuse her of, you know, soliciting walk-ins because <laughs> <laughs> Music Row and you know a drug and alcohol specialist. I, I accused her of wanting to be the great clips of of counseling because <laughs> her location alone was, you know, pretty uh, uh, just a, an Ideal. open door. Yeah, yeah, it was perfect. But uh, she's very good, and she used to run a treatment center here, and and uh, she you just can't get anything by her, um, you know, very, very long. And uh, she asked me one day, this was back when my wife was still living and was, uh, had just gone into hospice care. Mm -hmm. And Trisha had been in hospice care for a bit. And my wife had suffered for many years with MS. And uh, the last seven years of her life or so was basically those years were spent in a hospital bed at home and we were caring for at home. And when she entered hospice, my counselor asked me um, one day, she said, are you preparing yourself for the anxiety that you're going to experience after Trisha passes? And I said, what? (laughs) Anxiety? No. I mean, I'm going to be, I'm going to be grieved. I'm going to be relieved probably on some levels. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm going to be sad. I'm going to be a lot of things, but I'm not, I I'm not going to be anxious, Marilyn, because this is hellacious, mm-hmm. you know, uh, watching her suffer, her suffering. Uh, when that ends, I can't imagine anxiety being anywhere in the top 20 things that I'm going to experience. Right. And, uh, you know, how counselors do. She gave me the counselor nod and the polite grin yeah. and the, um, you know, uh, we'll see kind of look. And uh, she said, well, she said, the, the reason I'm asking you that is because in Trisha's disease, you've become a caregiver and you won't be after that. And uh, her disease has given you something to hide behind in a certain sense um, because you've not pursued things that maybe you would have pursued, but it's been because Trisha was sick. Uh, It's been because you were needed at home. You've had things you thought maybe God had put in your heart to do, but you didn't approach them. You didn't, uh, you know, embark on them because it was all part of um, this taking care of Trisha theme that has dominated your life for a long time. And she said, I kind of think in some respect you've been able to hide behind the skirt of her illness Mm. a little bit. And, uh, and I'm just wondering if you are prepared for uh, what you're going to experience when you don't have that anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, that's the most absurd thing I've ever heard. And um, sure enough, after Trisha passed away, um, there, you know, I, I react quickly to things. Mm-hmm. I had the bedroom cleaned out. We donated her hospital equipment, mm-hmm. um, bed, chair, so forth, um, to a hospice group. I had them come. She died on a Monday night, and I had them come Tuesday. Wow. And get it and, um, and clear the room out, which, you know, may or may not have been the smartest thing. Um, but the room was really hard on me to be empty. 
And so I would, uh, I had that cleaned out right away. Um, the next day, I got up about four thirty in the morning. I couldn't sleep for some reason. I might have been anxious. Uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, so about four thirty in the morning, I I went out to the garage and got the black garbage bags, and I just started clearing out her closet. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I cleaned out closets and pantries and. Um, our medical supply closet, and and I mean, I just I went on a on a tear, and I took it all, you know, to the garage, and some friends came and took it to Goodwill and donated some things to some care facilities and so forth. But all that to say is about day four, her her, her memorial service was on a Thursday, and um, Nate actually was part of that service, and um, we had the service on Thursday, and on Friday, my best friend said. I've got some uh, bids to drop off to some people, but I've basically got a free day. Why don't we just, why don't you ride around with me and we'll go to lunch? And I was like, that's great. So uh, I we hop in his truck and we drive around and about, um, we have lunch and at about 1230, I just start looking at my watch mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, um, I, I, I need to get home. And he's like, why? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I don't know. I, but I need to get home. I, <laughs> I, I am supposed to be at home. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody's supposed to have lunch. Somebody's supposed to be turned in their bed. Somebody's supposed to be changed. You know, all of that. Oh. So, uh, but only nobody's there. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so I began to experience that in a lot of ways and in a lot of different ways. And um, I always felt like I was supposed to be doing something else. Mm-hmm. But it reminded me of the way I felt when I quit drinking. Yes. And that's where that's where I'm going with this, is that that illness question that my counselor asked me about actually reminded me, and, and that's what she was concerned about. She said, it's it's going to feel like it did when sobriety hit and, you, and life was three inches from your face mm-hmm. all the time. And so I began to think about it, and I began to think, you know, we've prayed for years for God to deliver Trisha out of this misery. Yeah. And he did. Yeah. In a, in, and he took her to heaven, and a miraculous thing happened yeah um in a way and uh even though it wasn't the miraculous take up your bed and walk healing but then i started to think about the take up your bed and walk healings and and um about recovery yeah and how we've all experienced um the people in our lives taking it very differently Mm -hmm. in very different ways and I begin to think about what it was like um, when we read about these miracles, because the stories seem to end at take up your bed and walk, and the church stands up and claps, and that's what we pray for. Yeah. You know, we pray, we get in prayer circles, and we pray, God, heal this marriage, restore these people, restore this relationship, God, yeah. you know, touch so-and-so, and do all these things. Um, we don't pray, God, reveal the resentments and the things that are, um, you know, (laughs) working against these people. And even if the marriage doesn't make it, heal their hearts. Yeah. You know. So, so David, let me, let me throw out some examples for our listeners of, of what you're talking about. I have often thought about the rich young ruler. He gets sent away or he goes away and doesn't follow Jesus. And they're kind of 
is an assumption that, you know, it's just he made that choice and that's what happened. Right. I've always wanted to believe that uh, by the time Pentecost happened and the good news was spread around that he finally understood what Jesus was talking about and became an amazing disciple. Uh, but we don't get that story. Right. We don't get the story of the lepers, those uh, 10 lepers, two come back and give thanks. Well, how long were they lepers? Yeah. Their families assumed they were not going to just stop being a leper. That was unusual. Right. Who knows if their spouses had been remarried. Maybe there was a divorce that happened. Right. Uh, and they came back to a life that was uh, in chaos. What about the men that uh, blind Bartimaeus or people that the guy that was born blind and he spent his life as a beggar. Now he has sight, but he has no money. He's only been a beggar. He has no skills. Right. Uh, and what about the guy that you're talking about who picked up his mat and left? Yeah. And uh, did his friends keep following him? Did they get frustrated with him when he struggled with the fact that he was healed and didn't know what life meant anymore? Right. So I think it's a, it's a wonderful thought as we read Scripture uh, to not simply let the story end where Scripture leaves us, but consider... We are experiencing so many of these similar things, but much of the story happens after the story ends in the gospel. Exactly, and that's that that's perfect. That's exactly what I'm what I'm hoping we can uh, explore in in what I'm in what I'm writing about because those are the things, the questions that I'm asking as well. That that man that you know takes up his bed and walks and one minute his friends are you know luring him you know through a hole in the roof yeah. and the next minute he's rolling up his mat and and walking out the door i'm thinking you know well maybe his mom you know has cared for him for how many years and her role is no longer needed right he's got to find a job a way to support himself that he didn't have you know 15 minutes ago yeah um he's got relationships that are going to you know he's trained people how to treat him Yes. And they suddenly aren't necessary in that capacity anymore. So yeah. relationships take on a different um, connotation in that life. Yes. And that all happens to us as we get sober and as we begin to walk into a new way of being. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and frankly, you know, some of our family members and friends can make the journey and some of them can't. Yes. And, um, and that's the part we're not telling people. I think. Yeah. Um, there will be people that can make this journey with you, and there will be people who cannot make this journey with you. But your life is going to look different because the responsibilities that you suddenly have, because you suddenly have opinions, you suddenly are engaged, you suddenly have a little more time on your hands. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's just face it, you know, after, uh, after you know, some things go away, yeah. uh, there's a little more to work with yeah, in, yeah. Your, in your life. Yeah. And... Uh, but uh, your your family may not always remember your sobriety birthday. Yeah, you know, and there and you're a long way from a parade. Yes, you know, because they're still hurting, they're still doubting you. Maybe because um, I quit drinking about ninety seven times, and yeah. I always blew trumpets before each one. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. I liked to make big pronouncements and promises, and uh, it was part of my shame cycle. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> anyway, yeah. it was part of the way it went. But but these people in the Bible, that they, exactly the the point about um, 
the fact that they they walk out of the story and we don't really know where it went it tells me though it, that there's a real good possibility that their lives just didn't suddenly get so smooth and so easy because they were well because yeah. when you get well well looks like a process and well is something that everybody doesn't always celebrate right yeah yeah and that's hard it's hard to talk about yeah and it's not something that everybody initially trusts right right so I know that from my story. Uh, we had a frosty few years during my early recovery. Mm-hmm. Allie, I'm, I am grateful to say, was never unkind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are guys who have so wounded their wives and wives uh, are so, um, so angry and resentful that they lash out and say terribly hurtful things. I'm, I'm grateful that my wife didn't do that. Right. However, she certainly withdrew emotionally mm-hmm. uh, out of a sense of self-protection because there's no way that she believed that the, that the guy who turned over a thousand leaves had finally turned over the last one. She didn't trust it. Right. Right? Uh, and that... Uh, you know, I tell guys, I have the privilege of pulling a lot of guys out of the soup and into the boat. Mm-hmm. And in that kind of setup introductory talk, if a guy's married, um, I make sure to tell them, first of all, there's no guarantee the marriage is going to survive. Right. None at all. Uh, this is your best chance for the marriage to survive. But it's not entirely in your control. You can only control your part of it. Strap in at least a minimum for a two tough years. Two yeah. tough years. Yeah. Right. And um, and understand that uh, even if your wife comes to the point of trusting you again, uh, that's going to be a gradual process with ups and downs. She'll have good days. She'll have bad days. So don't get too optimistic on the good days. Don't go to despair on the bad days and recognize that she can be triggered by something you don't even recognize. What I I I Allie would be triggered by. um by a tone of voice. Wow. Yeah. That just yeah. reminded her of me during my years of active addiction. Yeah. Or something would just come out of left field, uh, a scene in a television show or, uh, uh, you know, a movie soundtrack or something comes out of the, or something somebody she overhears and boom, yeah. she's back in it. Yeah. And, um, you know, there, I, there's a, there was a part of me. It's really, really, really tough to remember that the, if if you're married and you get sober, that's the best day of your life. Uh, but disclosure uh, can, uh, if your wife is not aware of what you've been doing, mm-hmm. that's the worst day of hers. Right. 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 Oh, so, and then. You know, I had. I, I, did you have these unrealistic? Uh, did you did you have the pink cloud experience early in recovery, David? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk was, about that, and then <laughs> I was an evangelist for <laughs> for recovery. I, an hour and a half in. Yeah, you know, oh, me I'm, too. I'm buddy. ready to share my story with the world, and, <laughs> and you know, thankfully, I had a um, I had a really great uh, first sponsor in AA that just said, "Do not talk." Uh, publicly about this for a year. Yeah. You know, I was just so good. Don't do it because um, there is so much um, 
that you're going to experience yet, and you and you haven't walked through all the, um, you know, even like step work, and, yeah, and, and just you know, you haven't even begun to embrace your resentments or your, you know, we haven't begun to address your the ways you've wronged people and your amends and things like that, and you don't have any business getting out and, yeah. <laughs> you know, just, you know, I am well. Yeah. Um, because he said, that's just, that's kind of a curse, you yeah. know. And, but I did. I experienced the big pink cloud. And and I think that, um, and one part of it, you know, I think about the the lepers who did come back, mm-hmm. and, and it says, you know, they gave thanks. They bowed before Christ and gave thanks. And, and I think that where desperation and gratitude intersect is where worship happens. Mm-hmm. And so um, when the church... Oh, wait, wait, don't, don't move on, David. So, okay, but okay. Slow. sorry. Uh, Aaron slow wants down. to tweet that real quickly. <laughs> okay, let me give you time to click that out on your uh, on your handy gizmos. Um, I, I, I yeah, I want people to like soak that phrase in. That was that's a that's a worship pastor talking. So listen, uh, everyone listening. <laughs> I'll, say, I'll say it again since you guys liked it that now i'm encouraged um but yeah where where desperation and gratitude intersect is where worship happens mm. and that that is one of the reasons i think that we all experience god in more powerful ways in our recovery uh communities than we do in church services yes um, because at my church, and I'm and I'm sure you know many churches, um, you know we we're in a we're in an affluent community, and mm-hmm. we're in a very uh, well healed uh, part of the Nashville area. And desperation, we've got enough churches in Nashville that you know we could export them. And be, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, if you don't like what's going on here, you can go somewhere else. Fifteen minutes away or five minutes away right and um and and get your itch scratched in another way and so um i don't know that we're we're desperate to be there yeah and that we're desperate for christ to meet us yeah or or to meet him or the holy spirit to bring us to that point because we're too worried about not you know that i don't like the the new lighting mm-hmm. you know or yeah. whatever and and um or the worship music or the worship music yeah. <laughs> not that i've ever gotten emails about that but, no, you know, no no <laughs> people are so quiet when it comes to that for some reason never have an opinion about never worship have music. A, an no. idea about that but uh but yeah you know we're not we're not really desperate as yeah. a as a whole and i think that in those of us that have experienced recovery are experiencing recovery <sighs> Yeah, we know, you know, I mean, let's face it, you know, when you're in a dumpster gathering up your booze and putting it back in your car to take home and drink that night, yeah. and you realize that normal people don't do that, yeah, yeah. Um, that kind of takes you to a different place. Hey, I, w- I, I, w- I went into the dumpster myself, not for booze, I went for porn, but same, yeah. same thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And you just realize that not everybody's out there up to their waist in, <laughs> you know, in orange crates yeah, <laughs> looking for their stuff they threw away that morning in yeah. a fit of, you know, desperation and yeah. crying to Jesus and yeah. it's not running down our face. And so, um, so, yeah, I think the desperation and gratitude in that leper, you know, is, is huge as a picture of of true worship. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, uh, you know, like we've said, he's gonna get up and he's gonna leave and there and he may not have home to go to. And home may look very different. Yeah. And um 
And I want one of the things I want this book to address is expectations. Yes, that we have, and 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 that we can at times impose on the people around us. Yeah, um, because you know after the miracle, uh, we all want the miracle, but after the miracle. Uh, Jesus does not put us on a white horse and ride us off into the sunset. Yes. You know, that's just not his, uh, at least it hasn't been my experience with Jesus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, he's right. more the... Well, can I, I want to touch on, on, on the, it's not the flip side, it, it's funny, the line between the addict and the person who has been the caregiver, you played both those roles, and I have no doubt how being in that really hard situation with your uh, your your partner that God gave you, your helpmate, being the caregiver for your wife all those years, uh, that's you also were the addict in that and played both roles. And right. when you talked about your counselor talking about the anxiety, I I wished I had had someone that could have talked through that with me during a time of my life where I got to be the caregiver in a hard situation, not in the same situation as yours, but every day was a fight that drove me towards God where I was so much better as uh, a man in many ways because I was so desperate. And then when that was just taken away from me after an extended period of time, I was so lost in my own identity because I saw myself as like, you know, this is like I'm doing the real, I'm doing real life. I'm a superhero. I didn't say that to anybody else, but I felt pretty damn good about myself right. for the, the level of uh, patience and love and connecting with God. And when that was gone, there was so much conf- identity confusion. I had wrapped so much of myself into things that weren't Christ that when they were gone, it was just uh, a lot like a pastor who one day retires and he wakes up the next morning, he's not a pastor anymore. Who is he? And that goes with tons of jobs, not just pastors. Right. So the the loss of identity, and I feel for all these guys, not just the the mom of the guy with the mat that takes up his mat, and now she doesn't, you know, she loses her identity, and maybe he doesn't know how, maybe he wants her to still do things for her. He doesn't know how to not expect that. Right. But just the confusion, and I think that's where a lot of the anxiety comes from, is an identity confusion that only a gospel identity can replace. That's the only replacement for it, is the one that will stick through every season. Because right. all those people that got healed got sick and died again at some point in their life. Right. Exactly. He- healings aren't meant to last. It's just meant to give us the next phase of our journey where Christ is still supposed to be central. Right. Yeah. So exactly. talk, talk, talk a little more about that because you had to feel like a hero and then you lost that status. Yeah, I did. And you know, <laughs> what was really funny was that Trisha's condition really, um, for a lot of my friends, when I was drinking, it kind of gave me a pass. Mm-hmm. You know, um, my friends kind of said, well, if I had your life, I'd drink too. You know, yeah. I mean, hell, this sucks. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. kind of what they would say to me. Sure. You know, and so um, and so, I would feel like, and, yeah, and, and it, you're, it does. You're, you're thinking in your mind, Stop saying that. This is not helpful. Exactly. <laughs> you know, espe- yeah, especially when I, you know, was on n- 
number 96 of 97 times quitting you know yeah yeah um and uh yeah it 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 uh sort of gave me a pass in a way and on the addiction side right but then you do feel like a hero and and you you have an inflated idea of what you can really um what you can really change what mm-hmm. you can really do if i if i did this better if i had done this right if i had done you know this or that you 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 kind of take on your own little messiah complex too yeah and um and caregiving is a whole you know i mean gosh it's a whole other um conversation in a way because it um it it, it brings with it um, talk about changing roles. Yeah, you know, my wife became a person who, because of the progressive nature of her MS, um, in the last year or so, uh, she was very confused. She didn't always um, know certain things, certain people. Mm-hmm. She would get facts, you know, wrong, and and certain things began to happen. And she was like caring for an elderly person. And in yeah. a way, you know, I became the nurse, and she became my sick aunt. Yeah, yeah. You know, and but but I have wedding pictures that said we were two relatively happy, attractive <laughs> young thinner <Yeah. laughs> people at one point in our lives. <laughs> yeah. And uh and so, so I'm trying to remember that going, wow, you know, how did we get from there to here? Yeah. You know, where did that happen? But this is a pretty important message I think to those people that are listening, because I know we have listeners who are uh, spouses of people who are struggling, coming out of addiction, dealing with addiction, and that expectation for them is important to to realize anger is going to come out because uh, for a lot of reasons. And Nate, you just talked about how it came out in Alley more passive-aggressively than aggressively. But just to realize a lot of that is grieving the loss of identity. Oh, yeah. Right. And that's, I don't know who I am, and now I'm mad. I'm actually, in some ways, though I would never say it, I'm a little mad you're not sick anymore. Well, right. And Yeah, my wife actually had, (laughs) at one point, you know, had said to me, I liked you better when you were drinking. Um because you weren't contentious and you weren't right. opinionated and you weren't nosy and you weren't, you know, because at that point when I had when I had stopped drinking, she was still able to function in some, you know, ways mm-hmm. uh, and and uh and yeah, it's 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 really hard because you are you are a different um person that they are getting to know again, yeah. Yeah. you know. Yeah. Um you've trained them how to treat you but but they've also um Played into things in a way that maybe they do or or don't get too excited about addressing. Right. Yeah. And and that's hard. Um, you know, my experience to me, this all plays into relapse. Mm-hmm. My experience is that uh, because my expectations were so rosy during the pink cloud phase of early recovery, that I really thought that. Um, I mean, it was clear sailing from here on out. Life was only going to get better. Uh, when difficulties arose, I was not prepared for them. Um, and as the memory of the pain of my acting out faded, mm-hmm. uh, it became that that lingering thought that I could get some relief by going back to that old drug source mm-hmm. would eventually overtake me. And 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 then the relapse would happen, right? 
then back to the bottom again, realize, remember again how horrible it is, right? And start again. But I could never recapture the pink cloud a second time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, And it takes time to learn how to live as a uh, fully aware, fully engaged, um, you know, emotionally, spiritually alive person in a difficult world without the crutch of whatever our drug of choice is. Mm-hmm. Um, and how to, you know, how to, how to actually stand up and function. Mm-hmm. I got more help. Uh, and that's where, um, you know, an ongoing relationship with an experienced person on that road has been, I mean, an absolute lifesaver. And I, I can't help but think I would have benefited from from some more orientation on the front end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It it would be great if um, somebody had told us there was going to be a major upsetting of the apple cart. Yeah. And um, because I just couldn't figure out why people weren't more excited at yeah. home, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was really, I was really pissed off the year that it was my first sobriety anniversary, and yeah. I got up, and it was like it was my birthday, yeah. you know? Was, I mean, literally my AA birthday, but um, but I got up, and you would have thought it was like Christmas Day, you know, yeah, and yeah. I wondered where the cupcakes were, and, <laughs> you know, maybe they made me a cake or something, and, and I finally, you know, I rattled around all morning, and I finally said to my wife, I said, you know what today is, and she said, no, I don't, and I said, today is one year that I haven't had a drink, and she said, wow. Well, I'm just glad you're not doing it anymore. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I thought that's it. <laughs> that's all I get. Like, no, there's not a parade. There's yeah. not. You know, you yeah. don't have a float that you yeah. made out in the garage that yeah. you're gonna yeah. put me on and drag me yeah. around. Yeah, I mean, I really did resent um, the the um, kind of nonchalant way my family treated me about it for yeah. a while because they were kind of like wait yeah. and see. Yeah, yeah, and I thought a year was plenty of time. Yeah, you know, yeah, why yeah. wouldn't my fifteen-year-old daughter at the time be turning cartwheels for me? Yeah, and uh, there were no cartwheels. I'll tell you what, I I kept waiting for my wife's romantic uh, feelings toward me to come back. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, hey, it's been a year since I saw a hooker. So <laughs> <laughs> she was like, yeah, yeah, you. How, how, is, how is that not a turn on for you, honey? Yeah. <laughs> and and which which aisle of the store has the card for yeah. happy one year without a hooker uh, anniversary? <laughs> just, Hallmark didn't do that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'm sure Hallmark has something for this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's a marketing opportunity. That is. That's true. <laughs> yeah. So, so what? What do you think, Nate? What do you think the next? What? How, how do people engage this and start to work through the the disappointments of expectations that? They shouldn't have had in the first place. Uh, I mean, they were unrealistic in the first place. But yeah. now, how do they take that next step of life and recovery with yeah. new expectations? Uh, well, I have a few success, uh, suggestions. First of all, pray for David and that uh, he'll really uh, get inspiration and leading as he works on this book. I think it's going to be a very important book. Thank you. Uh, you've already got a contract on the book, don't you? I do. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah, a, and um, your York. working title is? The working title is After the Miracle. After the Miracle. Yeah. 
Uh, also, in your Samson meetings and in your Samson conversations, bring it up. Let's get let's get real realistic, and especially with the new guys, because if we don't uh, help calibrate the expectations of the new guys coming in, we can have unnecessary attrition. Uh, and then I'll tell you what I I think I would love. I think it's time to create a new uh, a weekend just a, uh, an intensive where we can work on um, positive sobriety, you know, post pink cloud living after the miracle, mm-hmm. uh, you know, conversation, uh, training, we can uh, exchange best practices. And I'll tell you what I have, uh, I'm so convinced that we need to do this, that I've made some inquiries and actually have already reserved a place to do it and reserved a, a weekend. Awesome. Okay, that's all we have is a place and a weekend. <laughs> uh, don't have anything else in place. Don't have any place you can register. Uh, don't have the plan fully. Uh, or uh, At this point, it's the germ of an idea, but I'm committed to doing it. Right. And, so, uh, so that weekend is August 19th, right? August no, 19th, not, 20th, and 21st. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Okay. In in Colorado. And Aaron, you you're going to be there. W- we will both be committed to being there and leading this weekend. All right. Okay. And e- even though there is no way to register, we can certainly get emails of people saying, "I would like to be at that weekend," and uh, you know what? Give us their Mar- mailing Mark information, is work everything. It out. So, and their email. And when we get all that registration information, we'll make sure those are the first people who get it. Today, you can go to piratemonkpodcast.com, click in the show notes for more information about this weekend, give us your email address, and then you will receive the first invitation once registration opens up. So don't wait. Hop on your smartphone, hop on your computer, go to piratemonkpodcast.com slash 171, piratemonkpodcast.com slash 171, and click on send me more information about the weekend, and we'll get your email address in there, and you'll receive the first invitation for this weekend. All right, let me tell you where we're going to do it, because this rocks. We're going to do it at Bear Trap Ranch in Colorado. Cool. It's about an hour outside of Colorado Springs, up the mountain. It's in the Pike uh, National Forest, I mean, in the shadow of Pikes Peak. Spectacular scenery, hiking trails all around. Uh, Capacity at the place is 130, so we're going to have to cap it at 130 guys. Um, Food there is freaking fantastic. It's going to be a bracing, wonderful weekend, and uh, it, this is a nonprofit deal. Uh, I'm, we're not going to make any money off this at all. That's not not the idea. We're going to do our best to cover costs. Uh, I don't even. That's the crazy thing about having the Samson Society. We don't even have a checking account. We got to figure out how people <laughs> how people can pay for this and get it done. We're going to need some help from guys on the ground in Colorado. If you're a Samson guy in Colorado and anywhere near Springs. Uh, we're probably going to need some help on coordinating the transportation and stuff. The ranch is a good three-hour drive from the Denver airport, about a one-hour drive from the Colorado Springs airport. And uh, uh, I guess I'm operating a little bit on the old 48 hours of frankness paradigm. I see, I see us getting rolling on that Friday evening at about 5 p.m. and trying to wrap by noon on Sunday so guys can get home. More information to follow as we make it up. Yeah, exciting. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, David. Uh, by, by, by the way, for those of you who don't know, this is uh, I, I have started more ministries uh, in the past doing this. It's called the Paint Yourself Into a Corner Ministry Start Model, where you just <laughs> announce things that don't exist and then you're stuck with it. So That's it. It's wonderful. That's All awesome. Right. I love it. <laughs> Okay, so send those checks to Paint Yourself Into a Corner Incorporated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, David, uh, I'm so glad that you are here to talk about this because now you have inspired something that I think is going to be awesome for uh, the development of community and for real practical service within families and hearts. And so this it's great. This, how important is this? Well, thank you, man. It's just, like I said, it's always great to be here, and I'm so looking forward to being out there with everybody. You are. It's going to be a wonderful time. And and after the Miracle Weekend, or whatever we call it, man. Yeah. Okay. It's great. All right. Well, once again, time has flown. We've come to the end of our allotted time at the Pirate Monk Podcast, but we shall return in one form or another. In another week. Well, we're not, we got a great we got a great guest for next week. I'm going to have to join you remotely, which just kills me because I I just want to hang in the same room with Raymond Press, and he is so fun. You're going to love him. So until next week, I'm Nate. I'm Mark. I'm Aaron. I'm David. I'm Aaron. Fine. Yeah. yeah. I forgot I'm supposed to be last every time. Go ahead. All try right. that again. Do it again. Nate, go ahead. Uh, one more time. Okay. So until next week, I'm Nate. I'm Mark. Oh, I'm Aaron. <laughs> and I'm David. Okay, we're your friends here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Oh, Coffee and Junior, baby. Preaching recovery.